So reading from Psalm 135. Praise the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Praise him, you servants of the Lord, you who minister in the house of the Lord, in the courts of the house of our God. Praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. Sing praise to his name, for that is pleasant. For the Lord has chosen Jacob to be his own, Israel to be his treasured possession. I know that the Lord is great, that our Lord is greater than all gods. The Lord does whatever pleases him in the heavens and on the earth, in the seas and all their depths. He makes clouds rise up from the ends of the earth. He sends lightning with the rain and brings out the wind from his storehouses. He struck down the firstborn of Egypt, the firstborn of the people and the animals. He sent his signs and wonders into your midst in Egypt um, against Pharaoh and all his servants. He struck down many nations and killed mighty kings. Sihon, king of the Amorites, Og, king of Bashan, and all the kings of Canaan. He gave and he gave their land as an inheritance, an inheritance to his people, Israel. Your name, Lord, endures forever. Your renown, Lord, through all generations. For the Lord will vindicate his people and have compassion on his servants. The idols of the nations are silver and gold made by human hands. They have mouths but cannot speak, eyes but cannot see. They have ears but cannot hear, nor is there breath in their mouths. Those who make them will be like them, and so will all who trust in them. All you Israelites, praise the Lord. House of Aaron, praise the Lord. House of Levi, praise the Lord. You who fear him, praise the Lord. Praise be to the Lord from Zion, to him who dwells in Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Well, friends, let's take a moment to uh, pray as we look at God's word together. Heavenly Father, thank you that you uh, give us words that reveal you to us. Thank you that you give us words to praise you as well. Uh, would you stir our hearts this morning as we reflect on Psalm 135 that we might praise you wholeheartedly. In Jesus' name, amen. A couple of days ago, I read that the Victorian Parliament is reconsidering whether they should start each day with the Lord's Prayer. Uh, this has been their practice for over 100 years, I think. Uh, but our Premier Jacinta Allen says, we are seeing greater cultural diversity I think it's important that we do look at reflecting that in our parliamentary practices. Dylan White, an MP from Tarnit in Western Melbourne, has decided to abstain and only enter Parliament after the prayer because, uh, he says, I don't practice a, a faith. However, the vast majority of my electorate that do, do not practice Christianity. Well, before we uh, jump on our high horse about prayers in Parliament, whether we're for or against, uh, they've got a point, don't they? Our society is religiously 
very diverse. Only a small proportion are, are genuine practicing Christians. And so reasonable and enlightened people should embrace this religiously diverse future, shouldn't we? We should not only accept and tolerate this diversity, we should celebrate it. That's what a multicultural society is, we're told. We should encourage everyone to find what works for them, uh, because surely that, after all, is what is true for them. And if it stops working or you're not getting out of it what you want, uh, then it's time for you to prioritize yourself and make a change. Because religion, like everything else, is a marketplace. It's about a product, an experience, and something that meets the consumer's needs at an acceptable cost. Well, last year before Christmas, we studied uh, the book of Deuteronomy in the Bible. It has a very clear message. You might remember from our series, it says there's one true God of all the earth who calls us to love Him with our heart and soul and mind. Jesus Himself quotes this as the first commandment. He says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And yet when you think about it, uh, this notion of wholehearted devotion to just one God is kind of out of step in our modern society. Like I said, we're encouraged to embrace a wide variety of beliefs, to devote yourself not to what is true in that transcendent ultimate sense, but to what works for you, what's true for you. And this is not a lifelong commitment necessarily. It's a bit more like a commercial arrangement, as long as it works for you and you're getting what you need. Uh, all reports indicate that Australians tend to be less religious than a generation or two ago. And I wonder if part of the reason is because we see more of life in these transactional terms. I follow Jesus and I go to church, not so much because it's true and right, but because it works for me. And if it stops working for me or, or for my family and my kids, then I'll stop. Now, I, this issue of religious diversity seems like a very modern issue. Um, we sort of assume that it's only in a contemporary secular world that we'd be uh, worried about this and that Christians would be anxious about a society wandering away from God. But this, actually, this is nothing new. We're just the latest example. It's, it's never come naturally for a whole people to persevere with God. We've always needed encouragement. It has a long and ancient pedigree. And our psalm this morning reflects that. It's a rallying cry. Uh, firstly, originally to the people of Israel and especially to their religious leaders. It's a call to devote themselves to praising God and God alone. Sorry, this is just getting in my way a bit. It's a call to devote themselves because ancient Israel certainly had a history of worshipping many different gods. Different gods that came from other nations nearby. Um, so have a look at the first few verses of our psalm. You might notice the common theme here. Praise the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Praise Him, you servants of the Lord. You who minister in the house of the Lord, in the courts of the house of our God. Praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. 
Sing praise to his name, for that is pleasant. Uh, did you get it? Did you pick the common theme? Praise the Lord. Praise his name. Praise, praise, praise. If, it's, if I say it often enough, you'll just go with me, right? Praise, praise, praise. It's, it's just trying to catch everybody up in this uh, praise of God. And yet, as we read on, we see that there's more to it. This psalm is not merely an appeal to our emotions. It's not trying to just whip us up and carry us away in the moment. It's not trying to coerce us and compel us. The body of the psalm lays out three compelling reasons for why we should praise the Lord. We're invited to switch our brains on, to think deeply about who God is, about the kind of people we want to be, and on the basis of that, to praise God and Him alone. Well, here are the three uh, big reasons to praise the Lord. They might have been written millennia ago, but they're surprisingly relevant today. Uh, firstly, in verses 5 to 7, we see that God is the sovereign creator. He controls the creation and the climate. So verse 5 says, I know that the Lord is great, that our Lord is greater than all gods. The Lord does whatever pleases Him in the heavens and on the earth and in the seas and all their depths. The Lord is great. He is powerful and awesome. He does whatever pleases Him. That's a great definition of sovereignty, isn't it? God is sovereign and in control because He can do whatever He likes. Through the whole creation, in the, in the heavens, that's the this kind of everything up there. It's the sky, the solar system, the galaxy through the whole universe and all spiritual realms. And on the earth, that's, that's all around us, on the land, through all human civilizations. And then even in the seas and all their depths. Nothing is beyond the scope of God's control. He does whatever pleases Him. Nothing in all creation can compel God or twist His arm or back Him into a corner or force him to bend to its will. The last month or so in Australia has seen floods and a cyclone on the east coast, fires in the west, and it feels like these grow a bit more frequent and more intense each year as our planet warms. Who can withstand the ferocity of a cyclone? Who can turn back a flood? Who can turn back the clock on our carbon emissions and global warming? Human progress on this front is devastatingly slow. And yet in the face of destructive storms, this psalm points us beyond ourselves, beyond our human-centric solutions, and says, praise the Lord. Praise the one who is sovereign even over the climate. Renewable energy and sustainable development are important, but do we pray, do we ask the Lord of the climate? And, and what about addressing human greed that resists change? God alone can change the human heart through the gospel of Christ. So if you're feeling despair over global warming... Uh, then will you pray regularly 
uh, not only for action on climate change, but also that the people of our world would turn to our sovereign creator, that we would praise him and seek his mercy on us. As a child, I remember visiting the planetarium at ScienceWorks. Uh, you sit in the chair and kind of tilt your head back and the whole ceiling lights up with a show about the stars and the planets. When I was seven or eight, I saw a show there about meteors and asteroids. It talked about how a giant meteor hit the Earth and wiped out all the dinosaurs and how this could happen again and wipe out human life. <laughs> well... It was a little bit much for seven-year-old me. I was petrified. <laughs> for weeks afterwards, especially in those like, quiet moments when you're trying to fall asleep, I was just lying there awake. What if a meteor hits the earth? And dot, 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 my vivid seven-year-old imagination could easily fill in the blanks. There's no way I was falling asleep. But you know what my mum did? She sat with me, she talked with me, she taught me that God was in control, that he would look after us and that we could trust him with our future and our lives, come what may. And each night we prayed that he would look after each member of our family and our loved ones. And here we are, still here. She taught me that the Lord is sovereign. She didn't know what would happen with the meteors, but she knew that the Lord is in control and we can trust him. You could think of Jesus' disciples in the boat on the lake in the storm. When Jesus wakes and he calms the wind and the waves with a word, the disciples are amazed. Who is this, they say, that even the wind and the waves obey him? Friends, we can bring our big fears to God, those existential anxieties that haunt us in those dark moments nothing is too big for him because he can do whatever pleases him throughout the whole creation but not only is god powerful and sovereign secondly in, in verses 8 to 12 we see that god cares for his people we see that god is the sovereign redeemer who judges nations and saves his people, the Redeemer. That's what verses 8 to 12 are all about, how God rescues his dearly loved people out of slavery in Egypt. He subdues the powerful Pharaoh with the, the plagues, you might remember from Exodus. And through that judgment, he rescues and redeems his people from those who would hurt and harm them. He brings them into the land that he promised them by defeating Sihon and Og, God is powerful even over human authorities, we see here, over the, the politics and pretensions of human kings. And he holds them accountable for their evil. God uses his power for good to defeat these rulers and to provide for his beloved people who he's rescued out of slavery. The awesome, sovereign God is also the redeemer the one who judges nations and saves his people. He did this in the Old Testament for Israel, like this psalm records. We see it also in Jesus, in his first coming. Jesus redeems people, not simply from human authorities, 
but from what enslaves our hearts. He redeems us not by power and judgment, but by humility and suffering judgment himself. And he wins for us not an earthly kingdom and land, but entry to God's eternal kingdom. Jesus submits himself to the ultimate judgment, to crucifixion, to redeem us from the power of evil, the enslavement of sin. He suffers this ultimate judgment and yet emerges victorious. He rises from the grave to bring life and freedom to all those who trust in him. And now he reigns supreme, the the sovereign redeemer who has promised to return to vindicate his people, like verse 14 says, to have compassion on his servants. That's, That's all who trust in him. And also to bring God's judgment on those that refuse. So friends, the Victorian Parliament are, as in their deliberations, not only about prayer, they're accountable to us, uh, but ultimately, more than that, they are accountable to Him. Not just for whether they say the Lord's Prayer or not, but ultimately for how they respond to God. It's not their job to make us a Christian state but they are accountable for how they each personally respond to Jesus. So praise the Lord for his redemption and salvation, for his compassion and his coming vindication. And yes, I think this psalm invites us to say, praise him for his justice. Because it means that when we suffer, as the people of Israel did, when we experience injustice, when we see evil and sin in the world, when our elected leaders fail us. This psalm reminds us that God sees and he has power to act and he has compassion to care. He will judge the wicked. He will redeem his people and all those who look to him for mercy and salvation. In fact, he's the only one we can trust to prove faithful to his promises, to rescue us from the evil out there and the sin within. He's the only one we can trust because look at the alternatives. In verses 15 to 18, the psalmist takes a moment to consider the other gods that the people worship. This is the third uh, section, verses 15 to 18. In the psalmist's world, the other gods were worshipped in the form of, of wooden or metal statues, uh, idols. And the psalmist makes the obvious and important point that these are dead. They are literally lifeless, senseless, unaware of what is happening, unable to react or respond. They're powerless. They are lifeless. Well, what about for us? It's not so common to see idol statues in Australia, but you can certainly find them if you're looking. Uh, Lots of us come from places and cultures, though, where physical idols are a bit more common. Uh, We've heard Charlie speak about this in India in the past. But we do have something else. Uh, What physical object do you give more of your attention to than anything else? What physical object do you always have with you? It protects you. 
It enables you to have uh, success in your work and your relationships. I've got it with me now too. I don't think it has much silver, but it probably has just a little bit of gold in it. And far be it for me to quibble with God's word, but it kind of can speak, can't it? And Google is certainly listening. Uh, It can hear you. I guess it doesn't have breath in its mouth uh, yet. Just wait for AI. Now, I'm not really saying that you worship your smartphone, but there's something a bit deeper, I think. Why do so many of us find our phones uh, not only attractive, but addictive? It's not the phone itself, I don't think, but it's, it's what we want from it. Kind of in the same way for the ancients. It wasn't so much the idol in itself, but what they want from it. Maybe our phone helps us feel important. I'm a busy person with lots of people contacting me. The the phone protects me from insignificance. Or maybe it helps me feel loved because lots of people like my posts. So the phone protects me from loneliness and isolation. Maybe it helps us feel wealthy because through it we can make money and be successful. It protects us from poverty. Maybe it helps us feel intelligent because through it we can access knowledge and be informed. It protects us from ignorance. Friends, what does your heart really crave? And is your phone the best way to access that? These are not bad things in themselves to desire, but is a phone really the best way to feel important? What? What about knowing that the sovereign God of the universe came to the earth for you? Just ask Jesus how much you matter to him. Is your phone the best way to fight loneliness? People who spend more time on social media tend to be more lonely, not less. Instead, what if we spend time with the one who came to be with us? who welcomes you into his family and who welcomes you into a church family in the flesh. He won't like your posts, but he loves you enough to die for you. If you're afraid of poverty, then remember how he became poor for your sake, that you might inherit treasures in heaven and how he promises to care for you through this life too. And if you fear ignorance and desire knowledge, uh, then is Wikipedia uh, and your favourite news page really the answer? God invites you to learn from him, to learn deep wisdom. The Bible says that God's wisdom may sound like foolishness at first, but in truth it is far wiser than human wisdom. You see, the problem is when we pursue any of these good things apart from God or or when we value them above God himself, we actually diminish ourselves. Verse 18 says, Those who make uh, idols will be like them and so will all who trust in them. We become like the inanimate and abstract things that we're seeking after. We pursue two-dimensional image-based relationships online and we become two-dimensional shallow people. We pursue importance and significance at all costs 
where we're liable to become self-focused and self-obsessed. We pursue wealth or knowledge, then how easy it becomes to despise the poor or the ignorant. Or simply to ignore friendships, which are far more important for true wealth and true wisdom. If we devote ourselves to something that we have made or invented, then we're giving ourselves to something that can only diminish us, that can only limit our humanity and make us less than we fully are. That's what verse 18 is all about. Idols are senseless and lifeless. You'll become like them if you trust in them. But if you give yourself to the true and living God, the God who created you, the God who is sovereign over the climate, the God who redeems us in Jesus Christ, if you devote yourself to Him, then you will grow like Him. We will become all that He has made us to be. Not not a diminished form of ourselves, but in Christ, a glorified form of ourselves. Perfected in holiness and beauty, in goodness, in true humanity. So friends, praising God is not a selfish attempt to impose our views on society. Praising this glorious God is the natural expression of the joy we find in Him. C.S. Lewis points out how frustrating it is to come across a great author or great passage in a book and have no one to tell about it. Or to see a, a glorious mountainscape and have no one to, to praise it to. Well, thankfully, we never have this problem because we just take a photo and we post it to all our friends and we praise it to them. Uh, but his point remains, doesn't it? When we see something glorious, we want to praise it and share it with others. How much more so when we consider the worth and the wonder of God? Wholehearted worship and praise of the Lord is the only authentic response when we discover who He is. Not one among many. Not an option for us to choose or to remould in our image. But the one and the only. The one true God. So friends, before we wrap up, let me take a few minutes uh, to give you a chance to reflect on this in your own life. How will you devote yourself in praise to God this year? Uh, For some of us, we need to decide if we're willing to commit wholeheartedly to worshipping the Lord and the Lord alone. Will you keep hedging your bets and following the ways of the world around us? I know it's a diverse world out there, but what do you personally believe? I want to challenge you that Jesus calls you to trust Him and Him alone, to acknowledge that He has all authority and to rely on Him. Not to worship Him alongside something else, Not to worship Him half-heartedly when it suits you. Not even to worship Him for what you get out of it. But to worship Him for who He is. To give yourself to Him wholeheartedly and trust His goodness and love for you. Because if we only worship God on our terms, when we get something out of it, then we make our relationship with God 
into a transaction. It's like commerce. It's, it's not a relationship, but we're buying something from God or trying to. But God wants more of us than that. He asks our whole life. He wants our worship because he gave more than that. He gave us his son. Jesus gave his life for you. Will you worship him wholeheartedly? When you start in 2024. For others of us, we're already devoted to Jesus. This psalm challenges us to reflect on our praise of God. Does our praise reflect who God truly is? Do you praise God for his power in creation? Do you praise him for his salvation and redemption? Do you praise God for his truth and justice in judging? And do you praise God to resist the allure of idols in your life? And let me speak particularly to those of us, uh, and I include myself here, who lead others in the worship of God. Are our hearts in the right place before God? Are we devoted to worshipping Him? This psalm, uh, you might have noticed, is particularly addressed to those who minister in the temple. The Levites, uh, the priests descended from Aaron, the house of Aaron, who led the people in the worship of God. And so for us, are we following closely our high priest, the Lord Jesus, who alone can bring us into God's presence and teach us to praise God rightly? We don't get to decide how we worship God or on what terms. No, we follow Jesus. Because if we as leaders are not wholeheartedly sold out in praise of God, Father, Son and Spirit, how can we lead others to genuinely praise God for who He is? Now, we won't achieve this by focusing on ourselves, not by trying to fix ourselves, but only by fixing our eyes on Jesus. Only by devoting time, even in the midst of our busy schedules, to reading His Word, to meeting together and to praying. And as we think about prayer, it would be a, a sad irony if we expected our, our non-Christian elected officials to pray more often than we do. But if our praise is the overflow of our joy in Jesus, then let's keep our eyes fixed on Him. Come to church each week, be encouraged by the praise of others. Study the Bible together at small groups. Uh, you could even praise God to people who don't know Him yet. You can tell them how great and good God is. Share your praise with them. Wouldn't they too be encouraged to know the love that God has for them? Our multicultural and diverse society is by and large a beautiful thing because the Lord has brought people from so many nations. And He gives us the opportunity the privilege to sing his praises so that all may hear. And so we praise the Lord because he is worth it. And we praise the Lord to, to call others not to become like us, but with us, whatever your cultural background, to fix your eyes on Jesus and in him to praise the Lord, our great creator, our great Redeemer, for the Lord is good.
to sing his praises. Let's pray.